This is a Reconstructionist Radio production. Please visit calcedon.edu. That's C-H-A-L-C-E-D-O-N dot E-D-U to download this book in PDF format or to purchase this book. The Cure of Souls, Recovering the Biblical Doctrine of Confession by Rusus John Rushduni. Copyright 2007, Mark R. Rushduni. Published by Calcedon Ross House Books. P.O. Box 158, Vallecito, California, 95251. All rights reserved. The Cure of Souls. Recovering the Biblical Doctrine of Confession by R.J. Rushdeni. Chapter 26. Dangerous Confessions, Part 1. It is very important to recognise that confession can be a dangerous thing. It is a form of self-exposure, an opening of one's being to another. It is for this reason that the Roman Catholic Church has insisted on the total inviolability of the confessional. It can be argued that when the one making the confession refuses to make restitution, do penance or whatever is indicated, no true confession has been made and the priest or pastor is not bound. In any case, confession can be dangerous, depending on whom it is made to. If the person to whom confession is made is not someone ministering in God's name and in faithfulness to him, confession can be suicidal on the part of the person who is confessing. To illustrate, during the 1930s, a popular, nominally Christian movement, which was especially popular among successful people in Britain, called for a group to sit in a circle and each in turn make confession to the group. Not surprisingly, it happened at times that the confessions provided a source of gossip. For example, that John Doe had been having a sexual affair with Mrs Jane Rowe, etc. Various totalitarian powers found the use of the confessional concept very useful. Especially with very religious and moral persons, it was easy to attack their claims to innocence by telling them of various minor offences they surely must have committed. By getting them to admit to non-perfection, then to minor confessions, the Inquisitor was able to break the person's resistance. This technique was used by Korea in, in Korea by the Communists on American prisoners of war. No compulsion was used, and the American soldiers treated it at first as a silly game, but it led to what was later called brainwashing. The idea of brainwashing is largely a myth. An oppressive technique is imagined whereby a man is broken. In reality, it is a means whereby people are given the opportunity to destroy themselves. It is a technique now used by businesses and churches. A group of people sit in a circle and they are invited to be honest and to confess their sins. The idea that resistance to such a confession is dishonest is firmly planted. It means being unchristian or being unfriendly to the corporation's concern for greater sensitivity to one another. After a round of confessions, men are then encouraged not to hold back but to confess things held back, deeper, graver offences. Then comes a variation. Confess what it is you dislike or resent in the person next to you, then someone else in the circle, and so on. To the modern mind, this is a violation of the privacy of self, 
of one's inner life. As such, it is offensive to many, and with very good reasons. But its evil lies deeper. True confession is to God, and together with restitution, prayer and penance, has a very great restorative function, morally and mentally. This group therapy confessional replaces God with men. It strips a man of his defences because vulnerability to God is the beginning of strength, whereas vulnerability to other sinners has a devastating effect. Healing is replaced with a sense of nakedness and self-contempt for many of the victims of such confessional sessions. Clothing is a mark of civilization and also of status. People show what they are by the way they dress, not fully so, of course, but to a degree. Persons with character and a work ethic tend to show it in their clothing. People who live in terms of a parade of vanity reveal it in their dress, whereas teenagers, street people and others have their own means of identification. Some people are required to use uniforms to identify themselves. Policemen, some school children, military men, waiters, doormen and so on. The place of clothing in a civilization is an important one. Our minds and hearts are also clothed as a means of civility. It is not hypocrisy to conceal some of our feelings, although on occasion it can be, but normally a means of courtesy and forbearance. We conceal our impatience and we hide our boredom because we have no right to expect others to be stimulating and intensely interesting at all times. Civilization depends on discreet silences, on closed doors, on walls, locked files and such means of personal living. The group confessional alters this badly and drastically. In the hands especially of humanistic pr practitioners, it becomes very dangerous. Churches that practice it tend to gain and command an undue control over their members. It is a curious but revelatory fact that socialism has strongly opposed individualism and as an antisocial phenomenon. The primacy of mankind and of the state is held to require the suppression of the cult of the individual. At the same time, socialists have tended at times to favour nudism, as did George Bernard Shaw and many of his associates. The connection is a logical one. If equality is the goal, then by reducing all to nakedness, all are supposedly made equal. Of course, the young and the fit are more likely to profit by nakedness than the old and the misshapen, so this strategy is one of humiliation for some. A woman with a physical deformity was taken to a nudist camp by her husband and shamed thereby. Now, the confessional circle is comparable to a nudist camp, but it is different in that a psychological damage is inflicted. Some dictatorships have not only used confessional tactics, but also stripped their prisoners of clothing in order to degrade and break them. The confessional circle works to magnify everything. For example, in one such event, very specific confessions were required. Whom do you hate in this group? Are you sexually attracted to anyone in this group? The person who feels duty-bound having entered into a supposedly therapeutic encounter to say something, to cooperate, is victimised with his consent. Thus, another man or woman, whom he may know casually, may appear to him or her as the least likable in the group. To be cooperative, he or she names the person. 
then, with sexual attraction, the respondent may not at all be interested in anyone present, but someone must be named. The results can be devastating. Something has been created by a speech which previously did not exist, a hatred or a sexual attraction. In a perverse and evil way, such humanistic confessions try to make some words into flesh. Therapy encounters can and sometimes do lead to problems. They help bring certain things into existence. Our civilization, like every advanced one before us, represents ideas concretized and made the evidence of human action. No society begins with technology, but invents technology because its thinking leads to it. When the faith and thinking of a culture decays, so too, in time, does its technology and everyday life. After all, modern plumbing and piped water existed in more than one ancient and now barely known culture as witness Minoan excavations. In a Christian culture, confession of sins is to God, the confession of faith is to men, and the works of faith are developed in every sphere of life and thought. The culture grows and develops as the faith does. The arts, sciences, works and technology of a culture represent a developing confession. The people develop the presuppositions of their lives. No less than books and architecture, a culture is a confessional expression. The humanistic confessional shatters all this. The confession of sins to a group is not a therapeutic activity, but a venting of society's worst side without any forgiveness of sins ensuing. The participant is expected to be grateful for bearing his soul when no grace or forgiveness results. There is the sickening feeling that others know too much about him and he knows more than he wants to know about them. The results are anti-growth with respect to his sanctification, his family life, his work and his functioning. Freud held that the goal of psychoanalysis is not to cure the person, but simply to give him or her self-understanding. There is no possible growth in mere understanding. One man more or less pushed into such a group meeting by his company's policy said he went into it feeling like a fool for being there and came out convinced he was for having gone. He half wished that he were Catholic so that he could do penance for going to the meeting. To turn a man inside out is arrogance, since the minister or therapist has no grace to offer nor forgiveness of sins. One byproduct of this dangerous form of the confessional has been its extension into the popular culture. Television has many hours devoted to people confessing all kinds of practices with neither contrition nor repentance. The world of popular music, especially rock and roll, has become an arena for braggart and arrogant confessions of hatred, perversion, malice and all kinds of evil. In the world created by Freud, there is no cure, only self-understanding. The correlation to this is the acceptance of every evil as natural and hence nothing to hide nor be ashamed of. As a result, popular culture now manifests an intense and fanatical brag braggadocio about evil. A few AIDS patients have even acted as though their fatal disease were a mark of honour and they are treated as humanistic saints. 
any effort to call attention to their sin is seen as evil and is savagely attacked. Our culture has become a confessing culture, but to man, not to God. Let it all hang out has become a standard for life. This boastfulness about evil is, as, is a logical development of the humanistic confessional. Its therapy is a form of cultural suicide. This is the end of chapter 26. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom.